It's March 1st, and this is the Reading Through the Bible Together podcast. My name is Blake, and we are going to jump in with our Old Testament reading today in Leviticus chapter 24, verse 1 through chapter 25, verse 46. As always, reading out of the New Living Translation. This is Leviticus chapter 24, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light, to keep the lamps burning continually. This is the lampstand that stands in the tabernacle in front of the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. Aaron and the priest must tend the lamps on the pure gold lampstand continually in the Lord's presence. You must bake twelve flat loaves of bread from choice flour using four quarts of flour for each loaf. Place the bread before the Lord on the pure gold table and arrange the loaves in two stacks, with six loaves in each stack. Put some pure frankincense near each stack to serve as a representative offering, a special gift presented to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, this bread must be laid out before the Lord as a gift from the Israelites. It is an ongoing expression of the eternal covenant. The loaves of bread will belong to Aaron and his descendants, who must eat them in a sacred place, for they are most holy. It is the permanent right of the priest to claim this portion of the special gifts presented to the Lord. One day a man who had an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father came out of his tent and got into a fight with one of the Israelite men. During the fight, the son of an Israelite woman blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. So the man was brought to Moses for judgment. His mother was Shilamoth, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. They kept the man in custody until the Lord's will in the matter should become clear to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp and tell all those who heard the curse to lay their hands on his heads. Excuse me, on his head. He does, he does not have multiple heads, just one head. Continuing on. Then let the entire community stone him to death. Say to the people of Israel, Those who curse their God will be punished for their sin. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of Israel. Any native-born Israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. Let's pause. We have a, a second narrative story here in Leviticus, and uh, just like the first one, which we saw uh, in Leviticus chapter 10, it is, it's pretty violent. And uh, we see here that this guy is stoned to death for blaspheming the name of the Lord. Uh, and, and I'll just say that, remember what God is doing here in Leviticus. He's setting up a brand new community. He is uh, setting apart a people uh, like there has never been before. Uh, he is creating a nation in which he is the ruler which he is the one who sets the boundaries of what is appropriate and what is not appropriate. And if you read this literature compared to any other literature, it is completely different. Uh, literature from the time, that is. It is completely different from, from any literature or ethic we see in other cultures. And so here there's a story about the thing that is most important. The thing that deserves immediate death is blaspheming against God. That in this camp, serving God and giving God glory is the most important thing. Uh, which is the most important thing in your life also. And the punishment for denying God for us is uh, equal in that we will die a death and be eternally separated from God. Those who blaspheme the name of the Lord by not believing in his Son uh, will not be saved. And uh, we, we see that beginning to take shape even here in Leviticus. Verse uh, 15 says, Say, or sorry, uh, yeah, verse 15. Say to the people of Israel, those who curse their God will be punished for their sin. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of Israel. Any native-born Israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. Verse 17. Anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death. Anyone who kills another person's animal must pay for it in full, a live animal for the animal that was killed. 
Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury afflicted. A fracture for fracture, an eye for eye, a tooth for tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. Whoever kills an animal must pay for it in full, but whoever kills another person must be put to death. This same standard applies both to the native-born Israelite and to the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. After Moses gave all these instructions to the Israelites, they took the blasphemer outside the camp and stoned him to death. The Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moving into chapter 25, verse 1. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I am giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. For six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during its Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and the temporary residents who live with you. Your livestock and the wild animals in your land will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. In addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then on the Day of Atonement, in the 15th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you, when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. This fiftieth year will be a jubilee for you. During that year, you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow on their own. And don't gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. It will be a jubilee year for you, and you must keep it holy. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. In the year of Jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. When you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. When you buy land from your neighbor, the price you pay must be based on the number of years since the last Jubilee. The seller must set the price by taking into account the number of years remaining until the next year of Jubilee. The more years until the next Jubilee, the higher the price. The fewer the years, the lower the price. After all, the person selling the land is actually selling you a certain number of harvests. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord your God. If you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations. Then the land will yield large crops and you will eat your fill and live securely in it. But you might ask, what will we eat during the seventh year since we are not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year? Be assured that I will send my blessings for you in the sixth year so that the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. When you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you will still be eating from that large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. The land must never be sold on a permanent basis, for the land belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. With every purchase of land, you must grant the seller the right to buy it back. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell some family land, then a close relative should buy it back for him. If there is no close relative to buy the land, but the person who sold it gets enough money to buy it back, then he then has the right to redeem it from the one who bought it. The price of the land will be discounted according to the number of years until the next year of Jubilee. In this way, the original owner can then return to the land. But if the original owner cannot afford to buy back the land, it will remain with the new owner until the next year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee year, the land must be returned to the original owners so that they can return to their family land. 
Anyone who sells a house inside a walled town has the right to buy it back for a full year after its sale. During that year, the seller retains the right to buy it back. But if it is not bought back within a year, the sale of the house within the walled town cannot be reversed. It will become a permanent property of the buyer. It will not be returned to the original owner in the year of Jubilee. But a house in a village, a settlement without fortified walls, will be treated like a property in the countryside. Such a house may be bought back at any time, and it must be returned to the original owner in the year of Jubilee. The Levites always have the right to buy back a house they have sold within the towns allotted to them. And any property that is sold by the Levites, all houses within the Levitical towns, must be returned in the year of Jubilee. After all, the houses in the towns reserved for the Levites are the only property they own in all Israel. The open pasture land around the Levitical towns may never be sold. It is their permanent possession. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative. Remember, do not charge interest on money you lend him or make a profit on food you sell him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, do not treat him as a slave. Treat him instead as a hired worker or as a temporary resident who lives with you, and he will serve you only until the year of Jubilee. At that time, he and his children will no longer be obligated to you, and they will return to their clans and go back to the land originally allotted to their ancestors. The people of Israel are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, so they must never be sold as slaves. Show your fear of God by not treating them harshly. However, you may purchase male and female slaves among the nations around you. You may also purchase the children of temporary residents who live among you, including those who have been born in your land. You may treat them as your property, passing them on to your children as a permanent inheritance. You may, you may treat them as slaves, but you must never treat your fellow Israelites this way. And that concludes our Old Testament reading. A quite long reading today in the book of Leviticus, but now we're moving into the New Testament book of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 31. This is Mark 10, beginning in verse 13. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. 
Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or poverty or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. That concludes our New Testament reading for the day. Moving into our Proverbs reading, Proverbs chapter 10, verses 20 and 21. This is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20. The words of the godly are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. The words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. And finally, we will be reading Psalm 44, verses 9 through 26. This is the 44th Psalm, verses 9 through 26. Usually I like to stop along the way and pray. Uh, but I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's a little bit longer and pray at the end. I'd encourage you to pause me along the way uh, or pull out a paper Bible and pray yourself along the way because I think that is a wonderful way to read through the Psalms, to do it in the posture of prayer. With that said, let's jump in. Psalm 44, verse 9. But now you have tossed us aside in dishonor. You no longer lead our enemies to battle. You make us retreat from our enemies and allow those who hate us to plunder our land. You have butchered us like sheep and scattered us among the nations. You scold our precious people for a pittance, making nothing on the sale. You let our neighbors mock us. We are an object of scorn and derision to those around us. You have made us the butt of their jokes. They shake their heads at us in scorn. We can't escape the constant humiliation. Shame is written across our faces. All we hear are the taunts of our, marker, of our mockers. All we see are our vengeful enemies. All this has happened, though we have not forgotten you. We have not violated your covenant. Our hearts have not deserted you. We have not strayed from your path, yet you have crushed us in the jackal's desert home. You have covered us with darkness and death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands in prayer to foreign gods, God would surely have known it, for he knows the secrets of every heart. But for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject this forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? We collapse in the dust, lying down in the dirt. Rise up, help us, ransom us, because of your failing love. Lord, I am so grateful that there are prayers like this recorded in Scripture. Because so often we feel like we have to walk on eggshells around you, or we have to uh, pretend things are okay when they're not. And yet, Lord, you can handle it. You can handle our, uh, our outbursts, if you will, our our yearning and our questions and our saying, Lord, why don't you? And uh, yet, Lord, uh, you are there and you listen to these prayers and your presence is felt. Lord, I just pray today that this would give comfort to somebody who, who is angry and they don't know how to express it. I pray that they would just express it. And uh, Lord, that in that they would feel not your discipline, uh, but they would feel the love that I know is there. Even when we don't feel like loving you, you love us. And this is proven to us in what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, and rose again, inviting us into his resurrection life with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In your name, amen. Well, thank you for joining me for today's reading. Hope to see you back here tomorrow as we continue our journey reading through the Bible together.